This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, And I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Well, you know you're listening to Talk Rope Nation. You might know I'm Jim Ross, the voice of AEW, and we're glad you're with us. We're going to have one hell of a podcast. guys and welcome to episode 143 of top rope nation what i think is going to be kind of a special episode of the show this week we're going to cover a big topic that's on everyone's minds for a couple of reasons this week which we'll get into here in just a minute before we do i've got a few people on the line of course my name is ryan drasty of comicbook.com and i am joined by the two sidekicks, both of them here this week. First, throwing it out to Cleveland, Ohio. Kyle Ross, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Tough subject this week, but uh, no one I would rather talk to it about with than you guys. Hell yeah, that's what I like to hear. The other man across town from me, back to the program after a couple of episodes off. We had a good time with Andrew Zarin of Matt Men last week, but it's always get good to get our boy Justin Joint back into the fold. Justin, what's going on? It is good to be back in Ryan and Post. This is where you insert that Road Warriors pop for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got got to. And the fourth man on the show this week to talk Owen Hart with us is one of our brethren from the Blue Wire Podcasting Network. He was kind enough to have me on his show when we first joined the network. Repaying the favor here, we have Ben Cruz of the Two Jabronis with the Wrestling Podcast Show here joining us. Ben, what's going on? Not much, you guys. Thanks for having me on. This is, uh, I feel like we got a little... Did, um, round table going on, which I, which I always like. I'm a big fan of. Uh, I can feel you guys from the other side of the country. I'm, I'm over here in California. Um, just hold up at the house. Yeah. Uh, not, not much. It's been the past two months have seemed exactly the same. Some sort of weird Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, um, well, I think both of us are in education, but, you know, when school let out back in mid March and now it's, you know, the middle of May, I was telling my wife the other day, it's like we've, already almost went through like as long of a period as summer is like summer break we'd be we'd be getting ready to go back to school almost right now and summer's actually starting so it's just such a crazy time right now with uh, what's going on in the world and you know we've we've been trying to bring more content to our listeners moving to this two shows a week format i know you guys are uh doing that over at two jabronis too any anything you got coming up that you want to let the listeners know about 
Yeah, no. Um, when you're done listening to this show, obviously, because that's what you should do first, uh, <laughs> hop on over. We, we actually just finished a conversation with Kenny Herzog. Uh, you probably heard him on like the Masked Man show. Uh, he used to write for The Ringer and Bleacher Report and, and a couple other outlets there. We talked to him just kind of about wrestling in general, just kind of like the future and you know how long this no audience thing can last and just his thoughts on on Vince, because Vince has kind of been in a, in a lot of documentaries lately. So we, uh, we we had a really, really fun conversation with him. So go check that out. But uh, also, I promise I'd shout him out. My my, my tag team partner, Jeremy Loss. Go, check, go follow him on Twitter. He's always taking shots at me. But <laughs> I'm turning the other cheek, and I'm not going to super kick him through a barbershop window today. But I'm saying go follow him on Twitter, at Jeremy A. Loss. So <laughs> be, I'm being a good tag team partner. Yeah, Jeremy is an awesome guy, and we are definitely going to get him on the show as well at some point in the future. You guys do great work, and uh, like I said, when we joined Blue Wire, you were really great about reaching out to us, and uh, we've talked a lot. I mean, we talk almost every day since then. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think you're going to fit in real well with our show this week. I mean, I listen to you guys. I know you listen to us, and uh, I think this is going to be a really good conversation. Plus, I, I mean, I know you have great taste in beer, which all of us enjoy, and, and great taste in tequila as well. So that that's always a, a positive. Oh, yeah. We, we should start a separate podcast. We might have to talk to KJ about like just a beer tequila pod, and we'll, we'll, we'll weave sports into it somehow. Uh, but literally, buying tequila has been the only way that The Rock has acknowledged my existence in, in 33 years. So uh, I will continue to buy tequila, specifically Terramana tequila. Yes, that was uh, very that cool. Not buy it or anything, but you know, it's, uh, it, it got Rock to say what's up to me, and I'll, I'll never let that happen. That's right. I mean, the rock quote tweeted you. That's that's pretty that's pretty badass, man. Doesn't come much better than that. So um, we're going to get to our big topic here in just a second. But before we do a little housekeeping, as always, we are members of the Blue Wire Podcasting Network, as we were just talking about. You can go over to BlueWirePods.com. Check out all of the shows for all of your podcasting needs. They got shows on every sport you can think of. NBA, NFL, NHL, MLB. They have shows on movies and entertainment. They have the show for you. Check it out. And uh, while you're at it, hit us up with five stars. Click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts, especially Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. Leave us a written review. Even better if you do throw your Twitter or Instagram username in there so we can contact you and get you a free Top Rope Nation sticker out in the mail just for leaving us a written review. And lastly, if you really want to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash Nation. You get exclusive benefits, exclusive podcasts that you can't find anywhere else from us, mostly concentrating on historical shows. Before the end of May, if you sign up for our Patreon page, we are sending out free t-shirts in the mail. That's right. Five bucks a month gets you all the bonus content and a free t-shirt. Check it out. Patreon.com slash Nation. And so we're going to get right into it, guys. The, the big topic is pretty much all I have been thinking about since I watched the new Dark Side of the Ring documentary last night. And, and that is the, the life and legacy and, and unfortunate death of Owen Hart. And I think the way to start this out is just to kind of get people's thoughts on, on what they saw in that documentary and uh, just kind of to welcome him back to the program. And also because I know he grew up as a fellow Hart family mark, as I did, Justin Joint. <laughs> Justin, what did you think of Dark Side of the Ring, this Owen Hart documentary? I mean, what were your initial thoughts after your viewing? Um, well, for me personally, I, it was by far and away 
the best of the entire series. Um, there were some other ones where I probably learned more, uh, but this was, it was gutting. I mean, it was heartbreaking. It, it uh, obviously it had access to a lot of uh, uh, home video stuff with Owen Hart, which was really cool to see. Um, but I, I felt really shook by the end of it. Just sadly, this is kind of embarrassing to say I was uh, not quite aware of the negligence on WWE's part. And I mean, Vince McMahon looked really bad. Um, and yeah, I guess it kind of took me back to, to the time when it happened and just the heartbreak of it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think, I think you're, that's not a unique situation for you. I think a lot of people really aren't that familiar with just how much negligence there was on, on WWE's part. Unless you've read Martha Hart's book, which came out around 15 years ago, a lot of those details just didn't really make it out into the media because, you know, the case had been settled and everything. Uh, so I think a lot of people de- definitely learned some things through that. Uh, ben, what did you think of the documentary? You know, I... I... You know, just to echo those those sentiments, I thought the doc was well done. At the end of it, I was sitting there and I felt like I felt like not enough time had passed for this doc to be done. And I looked back and it was like 22, 22 years ago. And I think it's I, I say that this happened around the time where it was like ramping up to my, my in terms of my wrestling fandom. Right, like I, I became a fan, kind of around like eight, nine years old. So I, when this happened, I was like twelve, and it was the first time I had seen any WWF at the time related incident in the sports paper. Like I used to read the paper as like a weird twelve-year-old kid, um, and like to see that article written out, like Owen Hart died, and like to, for them to be like that, um, it, it, it feels so fresh in my mind that everything that happened, everything that was said in the documentary, I felt like I just saw it. Like, I just saw it last week. And it was really weird to be transported back to that time and kind of relive everything. And it's obviously a little bit more tragic now, uh, which is insane to say, but, like, you know, talking to his kids, like, the, the kids stuff really, really just, like, daggers through my heart. Um, and, and, and maybe I'm just getting more emotional with <laughs> as I get older here and I just had a daughter and just kind of, like, the thought of that um, not being there for her and just kind of watching his daughter say, if he was here, I hate professional wrestling because he's not. Um, it's, you know, it just kind of took me to a place where I, I hadn't been in a really long time. But that's a great point about um, I'm in the same boat as you. I have a kid now. Uh, you know, I'm a lot more sentimental than I was when it originally happened. Right. Uh, so, so it did. It hit me a, a lot harder this time in, in knowing or not knowing, but uh having an idea of what that loss could maybe even possibly feel like, you know, like uh, him talking about laying in bed and just staring at the ceiling and oh uh, trying not to hear his mom sniffle. I mean, th- that was just devastating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is, that's all the stuff that got me too. I, I wasn't really expecting to get as emotional as I did watching it, but it was you know, totally like you guys, all of us here are fathers. And yeah, the, the stuff with the kids, the one clip that really got me was the home video of Oge holding the tag team title belt. I think that's where I first kind of lost it. Yeah, I was like, Oh man, I just, I've never seen his kids talk, you know, before obviously. And that was what I was most curious about. And yeah, that, that stuff really, really hit hard, you know, the human side of everything. And 
it was a tough watch. I mean, I've, I've read Martha's book. Uh, I was a huge fan of Owen growing up. And so I've read a lot about the tragedy and everything. And so I can't really say that I learned a lot about it. Uh, but it was just, yeah, it was the, the human nature of it, seeing his kids reaction to it, seeing those home videos, it just really made it a, a very tough watch, but one I would highly recommend to any wrestling fan. Um, Kyle, your initial thoughts. I texted you guys last night that I thought it was the best dark side of the ring there's been in the two seasons while simultaneously being the most kind of uncomfortable to watch, particularly the detailing of, you know, the death as it happened. I'm sitting there watching it and I'm almost like just numb, like. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't want to hear this because you know what's coming. And, you know, just as you guys said, it's just with the reaction of the family, it's just, it's a very difficult thing to listen to. Um, Obviously knowing what happened and just to have it recounted through the people who lived it and were right there on the front line. It's, um, I felt numb for a while uh, after the documentary was over, but uh, as a documentary, I thought it was absolutely tremendous. Yeah. So, I mean, if you guys want to hear us talk about more you know, on our personal lives and uh, and what we were doing, we heard the news. We covered that on last year's show, which was uh, the 20th anniversary of when this all went down. And you heard Ben a moment ago kind of talk about uh, how he heard the news. So let's just kind of move right along to uh, anything that we thought was left out that we would have liked to have seen him discuss, you know, because obviously they just had. Uh, a little over 40 minutes to tell a very, very complicated tale. I mean, I think my first initial reaction afterwards was that this easily could have been a two-parter and maybe should have been a two-parter, but I think they packed a lot into 40 minutes. It's There's some things we can, we can talk about, and I see some things on our agenda here that are going to be mentioned, but overall, I do have to say that I do think it was the best-produced documentary they've done in the two seasons, uh, just like Justin said, and man... They packed the information in there. So, um, Justin, anything that you thought they left out that you would have liked to have seen in there? For me, no. Um, for one, it was perfect length. And, you know, and there was stuff, if you do too much more, kind of like with the MJ doc, you get away from the story that really matters. Like, you know, they didn't touch on uh, how Owen Hart, you know, was any of his pranks. You know, like he was just the ultimate prankster and i think if you dive too much into that kind of stuff the doc is going to lose focus and it and it really needed to get to over the edge yeah yep uh ben i think one thing i would have loved to see is uh and they probably couldn't because he works for wwe is is talking to jeff jarrett because i know that you know at that time they were super tight um and i one of the my one of the most definitive memories I have of kind of that tragedy was the raw the night after. Right. Mm-hmm. And like they have everyone saying their piece about Owen and Jarrett and and Deborah as well are just crushed. They're just shattered to, to like a million pieces because um, you know, they had been working closely together. I, I would have loved to see Jarrett's thoughts on, on kind of everything uh, because he was, after that match gets delayed and they, they kind of do the crowd shots where it's like it's it's super awkward. JR is just trying to fill time. Double J had to cut a promo and then he had to do an interview like right after. And to do that right after your friend has 
potentially just died. Um, I, like I would love to have had that perspective all these years later. And again, he probably couldn't do it because he works for WWE. And like, as you saw, there was very little to minimal uh, or to none, I should say, involvement from WWE because it just paints them in such a negative light. Yeah. I would say uh, with Jim Ross, and we had him on the program a few weeks ago. If you guys didn't hear that interview, check that out in the archives. Uh, we didn't ask him about this topic, but we talked a lot about his book, and he does spend a, an ample amount of time in, in his new book talking about Over the Edge and you know what was going through his mind. And he got into that a little bit on the documentary, you know, with uh, Kevin Dunn giving him the news and counting him down. I mean, he had just heard that Owen had passed away, and here you go, you're going live. He tells that story in the book and uh yeah it's mind-blowing what he dealt with and really how good he did you know given the circumstances what a tough spot that has to be if you're jr on a live broadcast to have to break that news um just to double back to something justin said i completely agree making it a 45 minute documentary you've got to get right into the crux of the story and you can't waste a lot of time with periphery stuff i Maybe waste time is not the best choice of language, but, um, you know, you have to get right into why this story is being told. And, you know, they did. I thought they did an excellent job uh, with what Ben said about the Double J stuff. Uh, who could forget how emotional he was that on that Raw the night after? Um, that seemed to be quite genuine. Um, but as far as anything that I would have liked to see discussed, I, I don't think this is someone I, something I would have expected to be discussed in this documentary. But something I learned today, and I don't know if I've been sleeping for the last 20 years or what, was this Max Mitty story. Did you guys see this? Yeah, I didn't. I did not actually know this until today either. Okay. He was apparently supposed to be part of the stunt. He was going to um, come down with Owen, and Owen was like, I don't feel comfortable having someone else, you know, their life in my hands. And no, and he, he basically nixed that plan and essentially saved the man's life. Because if Max Mini does a stunt with them, that's two people that die. Yeah, that was that was something that would have been easy to throw in, too. And it's, it's well worth including. And I don't... Uh... You know, it's been 15 years since I've read her book. It probably is in the book, but I just don't even remember that being in the book. Or it, for some reason, I didn't remember that at all. And uh, yeah, that was in the uh, the police files, I think, that someone had, had posted. And I, I, I didn't recall that at all. And that, that makes the story even more mind-blowing. You're right. Yeah, and they had uh, somebody posted footage on YouTube uh, today of, I guess, Max Mini, his comments on the Super Astro show that they were doing at the time, WWF and like, geez, I mean, what? Imagine what had to be going through his mind. Uh, the only other thing would be the Martha versus Brett stuff. Again, that's something you probably have to tap dance around, and you're limited in 45 minutes. But that's a situation that's too bad. It is, and you know, they could have interviewed him, but uh, yeah, that that is. <sighs> It's it's a pardon the pun a dark side of this whole story you know and uh, they they could have touched on that um, I've been listening to some of the interviews that Martha's been doing and making the rounds uh, I listened to the talk is Jericho interview today I know you listen to that Kyle uh, Ben or Justin do either of you guys have a chance to listen to that I did you hear that at all Ben uh, no 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 not yet it's 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 in the queue yeah so I was yeah the Undertaker pod <laughs> yeah was just 
popped up on my feed um, last night with Simmons, and it shocked me so much that I hit, I accidentally hit play, and then I just let it let it keep going. <laughs> I got to get back <laughs> to the uh, the Tacos Jericho joint. Yeah, it's it's well worth the listen. And then I think she she did an interview with the Observer today. I, I got to listen to that yet. Um, but um, you know, she talks a little more in depth about the lawsuit, and there's obviously a lot of that information in her book. Uh, they didn't get too detailed on that on the show. Just again, in the interest of time. Um, they talked, I, I think they did mention, uh, that WWE had countersued her on the, on the show, but they didn't really dive into that. She talks more about what was going on there in the uh, Jericho interview. And I think I read the observer interview touches on this as well, but basically she said in Jericho's interview that, you know, WWE was muddying the waters in the lawsuit, just kind of trying to drag it out because they've got deep pockets and uh, eventually it got them to put the offer on the table for a settlement, even though she didn't want a settlement. And then she was kind of shocked when WWE came back with a figure that, you know, they were in a position where they probably should settle, even though she wanted to see justice done. Um, But, you know, realizing in talking with her lawyer that nobody was going to go to jail for this. Um, and so money was really all that was going to come out of it. And she used that money to start the Owen Hart foundation, which has done a lot of great work over the last 20 years. But, you know, they, they touched on all of those subjects, but they were very brief. They could have spent a little bit more time on the court case. Uh, that's the other thing guys is seeing that, uh, the, the clip, you know, the quick release clip that she had in her storage. I was not expecting that. That blew my mind too. Yeah, I mean that that was the uh, the piece that really stuck out to me, um, because all all everything else that kind of happened again was just so fresh in my mind and it's kind of like ingrained in my brain. Her showing the clip, holding it, seeing how easy it was to open and close, you're like, how did anyone think that a a two hundred? I forgot how what how much Owen weighed. Yeah, I think two forty. Like yeah. How that was supposed to hold him that high and it was just it was just baffling to watch and also heartbreaking like she that was the last piece of the earth that that her husband was a part of that connected to physically and she still has it she still holds on to it it was it was so sad to watch yeah uh, yeah six pounds of pressure would all was all it would take basically it was made for sailboats you know she talks a lot about this in the book i remember reading that and just being astounded the first time i heard about it and uh I, you know, they talked about how Owen previously, when he did the stunt in St. Louis at the Survivor Series the year before, uh, how, you know, he wasn't comfortable with it, but he had more professional riggers working with him that time. She talked about how it was like a Hollywood group that had worked with, I think, Elton John, she mentioned, and some other uh, famous celebrities and bands and everything, and how this time at Over the Edge, they, they were cutting corners. And that's really about all they said. I th- that was another thing that stuck out to me is they could have gone into a little more detail on, um, you know, how the previous outfit wouldn't have even considered using this type of a rigging for Owen. Like they said no. Uh, so WWE, WWF at the time, they went to somebody else who would do it, who was completely unqualified. You know, WWE was so concerned about Owen being able to just snap out of the mechanism and basically it was going to be this comedy spoof where he would, you know, fall to the mat from a few feet above it. And they didn't, they didn't like the fact that the old rigging took him a long time to get out of, you know, you guys will remember when, when sting would come down to the ring on nitro, you know, he would kind of stand there for a while. It would t- take him a while to get out of the rigging because it was safe. You know, Vince yeah. didn't want that. Vince wanted him to be able to just snap out of it. And you know, that's why they used the poor clip and it wasn't suited for human beings, Kyle. And what a silly thing. 
from WWE's perspective. Because if it's a comedy bit that you're going for, why do you care about that? It's not like he's doing some important run-in. Like, Sting was like, I mean, he was just being introduced. Like, what's the holdup? Like, why do you need it? Why did you need to, you know, have him get out of the apparatus so quick? That just never made sense to me. No, I mean, when it comes down to it, yeah, this tragedy happened because they were obsessed with him being able to get out quickly. You know, there's been a lot of discussion on Twitter today. We're going to get into that next here um, about the Hall of Fames and all of that. But the other, there's just some weird conversations that happen on Twitter where you know people, for whatever reason, just WWE can do no wrong. And I've seen so many comments on there today, you know, about well, WWE didn't kill him and all this stuff. And it's like, well... Maybe not directly, but WWE, you know, they did make some negligent decisions. It's it's just true. I mean, this was this is very what happened. And to put Owen in that situation, they made the decisions and it should have never happened in a million years. Martha Hart was not awarded the largest wrongful death suit in this country in 1999 for no reason. Right. I feel like it goes much deeper than that, too. Right. Like, yes, they are responsible. But I mean, the way that the doc highlights as well, just kind of how they didn't really know how to use Owen kind of in that era, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was, he was almost too good <laughs> uh, for, for that time. He was too talented in the ring that they couldn't find anyone to kind of match that. And, uh, you know, Jericho goes on to say like, Oh, if he had, if it just been like a year or two later, you know, these people are in and Owen has like a rejuvenation. And the fact that they couldn't find anything for Owen to thrive with, that they had to go back to the Blue Blazer, uh, a character that had failed previously, that they took him out of almost immediately, was, I mean, again, it, it's, 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 a, it's a lot of what-ifs, it's a lot of trickle-down effect, but man, it starts there, right? And it, it unfortunately starts there, because if they put him in, I don't know, they, they're pushing him toward the main event, or he, he's fighting for a title... He's not doing stupid stunts like this. It's completely unnecessary, and it's just it's that's that's even worse to think about. Like the obviously you got to stretch it out longer, but it is when Jericho started talking about that. That's one of the first things that I thought of was if he was just in a better position storyline wise, creatively, he's not in the blue blazer costume at all. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely, yeah. We uh, I can't remember what the what the conversation we were having at the time, maybe this was on our Patreon show a couple of weeks ago. We talked about Owen kind of in during that era and how he was stuck in this weird spot, you know, where he had a lot of momentum right after Brett left, you know, but uh, Sean didn't really want to work with him. He had that program with Triple H, but he never really like found his footing. You know, he didn't want to do the adult oriented storylines, which if you go back and watch those Raws have really not aged well. <laughs> Um, I just, I just watched Owen's last raw match the other night. It's from, I think two weeks before over the edge and it's a tag where it's him and Jarrett, but he's, he's in the blue blazer costume, uh, working the Godfather and Val Venus. So like Jarrett and Owen come out and then it just, it's this endless parade literally because the Godfather comes out. So all the women come out, you got Val Venus doing his speech and it just seems like forever. Owen's just like stand over there in the corner. He just wants to wrestle, you know? And, and that's the big point is that Owen Hart was one of the best wrestlers, pure wrestlers on the roster. And he should have never in a million years have been doing something like this. And it's really, really unfortunate. Real good discussion so far guys. And before we go any further, we got to pause for a quick word from our sponsors. 
There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7, or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. Coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the Final Dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. That's right, guys. If you're looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds, get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online position is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. There's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code BLUEWIRE. Kind of going back to what Ben said and what you're saying is, you know, for us fans, for what we lost is, is we lost the, uh, Owen Hart versus Eddie Guerrero, the, you know, the Owen Hart versus Chris Jericho matches when, you know, we were kind of leaving, uh, the attitude era a little bit and, and matches matter a little bit more. And that, I think that's what we lost as fans. Yeah. I mean, imagining Owen during that early 2000s period would have been he he could have worked so many, so many great matches. Jericho talks about that on the uh, the podcast at length with Martha, you know, how for a lot of those guys, Owen was one of their big inspirations. And we're going to talk about some of the matches Owen had here in just in a few minutes back in the uh, the 80s and early 90s, where he really was revolutionary of what he was doing in the ring. Yeah. Other than Ken Shamrock, which was kind of a short feud over the summer. Man, he he didn't do much over that 1998, 1999 period. Like once he came back and was pushed out of the mid card spot, you know, he had the brief feud with Sean when he came back. It was just kind of like, eh, they didn't know what to do. They threw him in the nation, and that was mildly amusing. It kept him relevant. But after the nation and the summer ended of '98, he was just kind of this lost soul, and it really was too bad. He had that stuff with Dan Severn that didn't go anywhere, and. It was it was too bad. Yeah. So the the documentary undoubtedly was going to bring this up, and it's the whole Hall of Fame debate. You know, the WWE Hall of Fame thing. I threw out a tweet on there on on Twitter about that earlier today. They got a lot more reaction than I thought it was going to. Um, and that's the fact that you know everyone's always painted Martha in a negative light. You know that she won't allow. Owen to go into the Hall of Fame. And I thought this documentary did a great job in explaining why that is. You know, um, 
pointedly. We all kind of, you know, we know why, but like they did a great job of, of showing her giving that perspective firsthand, as well as her kids. You know, Oge said he would never allow his father to go into the Hall of Fame. And it, you know, the Hall of, when it comes down to it, the WWE Hall of Fame, it is just kind of a, a money grab. There's no actual Hall of Fame. And they just don't want to be a part of that. And it, it's been kind of weird how fans can't really accept that. But the other point is that Owen is in some wrestling Hall of Fames, just not the WWE Hall of Fame. So, you know, here in Iowa, we have the George Tragos Luthez Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame that inducted Owen. It was the first pro wrestling Hall of Fame to induct Owen back in 2018. And Martha's very proud of that. There's a picture of her holding up his induction plaque. Um, that year, I, I went to the inductions here and like a ton of Hart family members were there. Like Davy Boy Jr. was there. Uh, Diana was there. Bruce was there. Was, there was a litany of Hart family members there. Martha did not come. Now, Martha is not on great terms with them, so maybe that's why she didn't come. But she did get the plaque. I don't know if they delivered it to him, uh, to her, if the museum delivered it to her. But when she got it just a few weeks later, she posed with it, and the picture's out there. I put it up on my Twitter feed. So this idea that Martha Hart like wants Owen's wrestling career to be forgotten is not accurate whatsoever. She is proud of what Owen accomplished in the ring. She talks about it in the Jericho podcast. She just doesn't want to be affiliated with the WWE. And so her wishes for him to not go into the WWE Hall of Fame, I think we should all respect that as fans. And I, I yep. think it's easy to understand why. Um, <laughs> go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, I have never understood why some quote-unquote fans, and I stress the quote-unquote there, need a Hall of Fame induction and all that comes with it to validate their own fandom. Yeah. If you're someone who needs a 30-second clip, you know, of The Miz or Adam Cole to validate your view on Brett Owen from Mania 10, that's a you problem, not a Martha Hart problem. You know, this is where Brett comes off bad, too, because Brett has said that, like, she's allowing Owen to be forgotten and he doesn't want his work to be forgotten. But, like, all his matches are on the network, <laughs> you know. Uh, they put out an Owen Hart DVD at this point. They put out the Hart Family DVD. So I, I don't think he's being forgotten. Like, his work is very accessible for anyone that wants to see it. I guess basically it would be a one-night celebration that WWE would profit off of. Yeah. Well, and if you're a true fan of Owen's, Again, I don't think you really need a Hall of Fame induction. What you just said, Ryan, there's a proliferation of footage on the Internet. And his career can certainly be celebrated by you or anyone listening independent of WWE. It's not hard. Yeah. And that's like, what What are they really clamoring for? Do they just want to hear Bret Hart give a speech on the stage? Because, I mean, Owen's gone. We don't get to hear him talk about his career. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I I had a lot of people respond to my tweet um, talking about how they previously had been in the camp that they wanted to see Owen inducted. And now they understood why it's not going to happen. And, and they understood it a lot better after this uh, documentary aired. Ben, what has your thoughts been on the whole uh, WWE Hall of Fame Owen Hart situation over the years? And has that changed at all on, on your behalf? You, you know, even before the doc, I completely understood why Martha didn't want him to be inducted i mean it, it comes down to just a human thing right like would you want to remember or give a place that is responsible for the person you love most in the world's death right like if if any you know knock on wood something were to happen to to like a loved one of mine and it was re the responsibility of 
uh, you know, it was the responsibility of that person's workplace. Like, I'm not going back. No. <laughs> right? I'm, right. I'm not in, in right, yeah. with anyone who works there. And like, especially once they've kind of paid that, like, the, you know, the settlement money, the hush money, like they know they they messed up. And now they're just trying to they're, they're just trying to get the closure that brett got with vince and like that did monster ratings for them right when brett came back kind of buried the hatchet with vince and with with sean like that that was that was a moment for wwe and this would just be another moment for them and frankly like look i'll watch wrestling i've committed too much of my life at this point where it's like yeah i'm gonna stop so like i'll probably watch for the rest of my life but what 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 does Martha and and the Hearts need from WWE at this point? Like WWE needs them more than they need more than the Hearts need WWE, and it's 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 just kind of selfish for I think as if you're a fan, um, like you're a human first, right? Like you all have like you have family, you have friends that you care about. Just kind of put yourself in Martha's position. She's not out here on a witch hunt trying to take the WWE down. She's just trying to uh, keep her, the memory of her husband alive the way that she sees fit. And I think she's gone about it in a very respectful manner. And, you know, it's 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 tough to watch uh, someone who's gone through something like that have to defend herself as to why. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She, you know, listening to these podcast interviews that she has done, she comes off so well and very likable. And it's so unfortunate that the subset of wrestling fans has painted her in this negative light over the years. Because, you know, like listening to her on Jericho, she seems like just such a nice person. and She's been through hell, you know, and to do all this great work with the Owen Hart Foundation and everything. And, you know, she's still willing to talk about his wrestling career. Yeah, like they got into that in uh, in the documentary, like his kids. I think it was uh, Athena, his daughter. She said, you know, that she kind of blames wrestling because if he hadn't been a wrestler, this wouldn't have happened. Um yeah. You know, but she 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 talks about the memories of watching him work and she she talks about the tours they took of Europe and Japan and Mexico on on the Jericho podcast. She's very appreciative of like the work uh, that Owen did and the performer that he that he was. Uh, someone else going to go there. Justin, yeah. did you have a thought? Or... Oh. Kyle. Uh, no. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, I think David Bixon's fan tweeted this out earlier today, and I actually had a very slimmer thought in my own notes, guys, correct me if I'm wrong here, if you think otherwise, the importance of any Hall of Fame induction, and this goes not just for wrestling, but any Hall of Fame, the importance of it, it resides with the inductee, not the fans themselves. And in this case, you've got the potential inductee, Owen, he's passed away. So the prerogative is all on Martha. And Ben, I thought, put it very succinctly and and was correct. You know, outside of this world of wrestling, you know, Martha Hart's feelings are very indicative of how most spouses would feel towards a company that was negligible, you know, towards their spouse's death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's very easy to understand if 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 you picture it from her point of view or just put yourself in that situation. It should be very, very easy to understand, and we should be able to move on from that, guys, as fans. So, no, yeah, I agree. But you know, if if Owen was to have ever been inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, undoubtedly they would have shown a clip of uh, you know some of his greatest moments in the ring. And I think this is the other big topic we need to hit on here on the show is you know our own favorite Owen Hart matches and memories, a more positive topic to end the show on. And you know, as I mentioned 
I, I would rank Owen probably in my top 10 favorite wrestlers of all time. As a kid, I loved watching Owen. I can't say I always did. Um, you know, when I was very young and, and he was uh, he was feuding with Brett, who was my favorite. <laughs> and I wasn't really smartened up very much at that point in time. I, I wasn't a huge fan, but I really grew to appreciate him. And I just thought he was hilarious. And then especially during the Hart Foundation years in 97, I was a big fan of his. And then, you know, years later, and this is even after his death, just kind of going back and, and watching what he did in Japan and Mexico and especially Calgary, gained just such an appreciation for his for his career. And uh, this weekend, actually on Saturday, I am going to be publishing a article over at comicbook.com on Owen Hart's greatest matches. So you guys can check that Ooh. out. It'll be a, uh, I just started working on it a little bit. It's going to be a list feature. And so that's something that you can look forward to on Saturday. But, uh, yeah, I just kind of go around the horn here, guys. Uh, you know, favorite match. I guess I'll, I'll throw out my all-time favorite Owen Hart match has to be WrestleMania 10. I know that's the cliche answer, but... I mean, all of us, I know, love that match. Um, and then quickly following up on that, SummerSlam 94, the cage match. It's uh, not including Hell in a Cell matches. It's my favorite cage match of all time. As I look to my right here in my office, I have framed the program from SummerSlam 94 of Brett and Owen. Uh, with, I actually had uh, Brett autograph that at the uh, Tragos Thez Hall of Fame one year. I love that match. I love the storyline. I love what Brett did for his younger brother in working that storyline and really elevating him. Um, Justin, what stands out to you as you know, kind of at the top of the list, uh, favorite memories of Owen Hart? Well, SummerSlam 94 does uh, for one big reason, and this is the nerd me, uh, Owen Hart as a wrestler had two flaws. He, he always had bad entrance music and he, he never sweat. His hair was always, was always dry as the desert sand. Um, you know what? I'm going to push back. I actually liked his, his entrance theme that he had for most of the nineties. Oh, it's awful. <laughs> I love the um, drum beat, man. I remember when Vince completely overreacted to Owen coming out first at WrestleMania 10. Yeah, you know, but, yeah. Uh, Bill, it's like Bill Dunn going from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and then Owen's music yeah. kicks in, and Vince is like, "Oh my God, I thought it was going to be Brett introduced first. Like <laughs> this was like some monumental <laughs> thing that Owen was introduced first. And the only other thing too for that match before we move on that it like just while I'm thinking about it, I don't want to forget it. Vince on commentary during that match points out that, quote, this is the first time I believe a brother versus brother match has opened up a WrestleMania as if that would have happened before. <laughs> in the long history of WrestleMania at that yeah, point. You know? For, oh, you, know how, you, you know how common those brother versus brother matches are at WrestleMania, especially in the, in the opening nine slots. incarnations. <laughs> yeah, especially in an opening. Eh, probably happened. Could have happened two or three times. You know, I'm sure. Just no biggie. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, Justin. Uh, no, so I, I was just SummerSlam 94 because uh, the match, you know, was 30 minutes long. So he actually sweated there towards the end. Um, and I guess the other big ones for me is I was so excited when he came back after the Montreal sc screw job. I loved the Blackheart gimmick. I thought that was his best look. Um, and so I was very excited for the the uh, I think it was the December 29th. Raw versus HBK for the title. Mm -hmm. um, I really wish they could have dragged that program out to maybe do HBK and him at the Royal Rumble, but uh, it wasn't to be. But it was still a good match. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Ben. 
So I think I have two memories that really stick out for me for Owen. One was his the two Slammy Awards that he would just always <laughs> bring to the ring. I think he stole one of them. Did yes, he? Did he yeah. Steal? Like I think best. it was uh, didn't Sean win for like something, and Owen was taking credit for the spin kick, the angle they did that like knocked him out or something. I could yes. be misremembering. I think it was something like that. But him always walking to the ring with both Slammies. As a kid, it made me believe that Slammies were important. I was like, oh, <laughs> and I guess if he's gonna bring them to the ring, they must mean something. Obviously, the Slammies took like an eleven-year break after that, I think that the last one. So I was like, "All right, I guess it's not so important." So just just him uh, bringing that to the ring was incredible. The other one was um, it's this a little bit more random in terms of the match. It's it's Canadian Stampede '97. Uh, it, it's I believe it was like a ten-man tag. It was the Heart yeah. Foundation. Yep. Mm-hmm. It was Austin. It was Legion of Doom. Shamrock. And gold dust, gold, gold dust, dust, yeah, right. So, I yeah, I, had, I was trying to remember if I remember that correctly because I was like, gold dust sounds kind of random. But I just so I lived in Canada at this time, so anytime like I, I mean, I, and I hated the hearts too. Like I was a big Austin stand at this time, but I was also conflicted because I was living in Canada. So I was like, maybe I should be rooting for the hearts. And then this pay per view was in it was in Canada. Um, and just that match was just, it was just so chaotic. Um, it, it was just, a, it was a fun match. It obviously, now that I've gotten a little older as a wrestling fan, you're like, multi-man tag matches are insane. And like, yeah. they, so there's like, they have a ceiling. But I think at this time, it was just interesting to me to watch the crowd basically flipped, right? Like the roles were reversed because they were mm-hmm. rooting for their Canadian compatriots uh, and, and booing these American dudes out of the building. Um, and just kind of watching the Hart Foundation as a whole uh, when, when they kind of came together there was was awesome. And just that match specifically, it just stands out because I, I remember being so torn as a child about who I should be rooting for, even though I knew who I wanted to root for. Uh, it, was, <laughs> it was a fantastic memory. We 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 talked about that match a lot on this show. And I think all of us agree that that's like the best crowd reaction in the history of WWE. That show. It is yeah, I was just amazing. Say, ben came to the right podcast if he wants to, to talk about canadian stampede we love we rave about that one and uh yeah that is and owen got the pin in that match too you know it it's uh in yeah, austin right yeah yeah mm-hmm. he rolls them up it's uh i i just love the ending with the whole heart family in there and it's really kind of like uh actually martha used this term on jericho's podcast it's kind of like the last hurrah you know where they were all together in this big great moment you know for the last time unfortunately but you know watching it back is just it is such an amazing moment it really it was like the climax of that storyline that whole usa canada thing was i mean that's actually maybe my favorite storyline in the history of wrestling i just love that whole summer of 97 and really the year as a whole and uh that just showed how intense it was with you know you mentioned i had no idea you lived in canada during that period like the canadians versus the americans it was oh that was great stuff yeah i was also an american um, i I was born in america so and then i moved to canada because of my dad's job it was a lot of I was I was torn inside, guys. <laughs> like an American <laughs> living in Canada, like trying to please both sides. It was it was a wild time. It was a wild time as a child. A few things. One, we've talked a lot, a lot about Owen the Worker, obviously and rightly so in this show. But his character work leading up to the Bret Hart match at Mania Ten, phenomenal. Um, those interviews that he did, or the 
you know, both he and Brett did a sit down interview with Vince. Uh, Ryan, I know you remember this before they had the kind of like fake reconciliation or the brief reconciliation. Um, though the, his character work was just tremendous leading up to that. And that really helped make the match. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't have a good build, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to have a memorable match. And then his character work in the thing with the bulldog, which got aborted in 97 when they were going to have their own breakup angle. I thought he was tremendous there too. Um, you guys have all mentioned, I think probably the most famous matches, best examples, uh, uh, you know, with involving Owen, I'll go a little deeper. If you want to see a match where he teams with Brett and is actually, it's a match where it's more suited to Owen's style of work than Brett. It's when they work against the Steiners in early 94. That Mm -hmm. was taped just for Coliseum home video. I think it's on like WrestleFest or something like that. And I don't know if it's on the network, but it's easy to find on YouTube. Um, It's obviously the only match between the Hearts and Steiners. It's a really different kind of tag match than you saw in WWF in that era. Um, I know people that think at that point in time, it was the best tag match WWF had ever done. Hmm. So that's something worth going out of your way and checking. And if you want to see the real deep cuts, uh, Ryan, I know you saw this account last night. Yeah. Uh, There's a guy named Owen Hart fan who's got, you know, stuff from Stampede, his Japanese tour in 88, his very forgettable run in WCW Mm. in 1991. (laughs) Um, You know, even his work in Memphis when him and Brett went there as heels. Yes. Uh, You know, when when Brett was feuding with Lawler in WWF, they also did a program in Memphis. So uh, I would advise if anyone wants the real deep cuts, looking for something new to seek that out as well. Yeah, it's own heart fan. All these videos are uploaded about five or six years ago, and it is. I added so much stuff to my watch list, and I started working it working my way uh, through it earlier today. But the first one I started out with was the uh, Jushin Liger Owen Hart match from New Japan in '91. It was uh, April 28th of '91 on the YouTube page. It's mislabeled and it says April 26th, but it is the April 28th match. Uh, it got four and a half stars in the Observer. It's a really good match. Check it out. I sent that over earlier today to friend of the pod, Derek Chappelle, and uh, he was blown away. Good, good match. Another one I watched earlier today that's it's kind of a deep cut as well is from the January 9th edition of Monday Night Raw in 1995. Owen works Razor Ramon. Awesome match. It's it's fairly lengthy for, for a 95 television match, you know, in the era when Raw was only an hour long. Um, this match was in, I believe, yeah, it was in Houston. And it's pretty much nonstop. I mean, Owen's all over the place in this match. Um, it, it ends in a schmaz, like people run down because of the fact that, you know, this was not long after Owen cost Brett the title at Survivor Series 94. And uh, Brett and Owen were going to be having a match, I think, on Raw a couple weeks after this. So Brett does a run-in at the end, and a whole bunch of other people come out. But before the run-in, it is a really good match. Check that one out. January 9th, 95. Have you ever seen this tag match from the Action Zone? Um, Obviously, the Action Zone, a very short-lived program in WWF history, generally known for the click tag match. But Brett and Davey Boy work Owen and Bob back when it's early 95. It might be February. Hmm. Uh, the exact date's escaping me. I know you would enjoy that one, Ryan, wholeheartedly, and everyone uh, would probably enjoy it as well. It's really good. Yeah, I'll check that out. I don't, I don't remember it. I may, I may have seen it at the time. but uh, Somebody, yeah. I, I had seen a recommendation fairly recently about it. I had no idea the match even had taken place. I mean, like I said, the only action zone match 
I remember is the click tag. Um, and you know, so somebody recommended that and I was like, wow, this is really good. Yeah. Yeah. That, I'll check that out too. Um, yeah, that, that YouTube account also, and these are some matches that Martha mentioned in the Jericho podcast. So like Martha, I mean, she knows wrestling guys. If you think she's completely tuned out wrestling and erased it from her memory, she was asked about Owen's best matches. And she specifically mentioned, uh, you know, the Brett feud and what that did for Owen. But she also talked about uh, his matches with Hiro Hase, which happened in Japan and Stampede Wrestling. There's a bunch of those um on on the youtube account as well as well as some tag matches where uh makin singh works alongside hiro hase and that are are very good against owen and uh, who was owen's tag partner that ben basarab ben Bas- yeah, yeah, Bas- yeah yeah um the mat the tag match that is shown in clip form on that account uh for anyone who keeps the Jeff Bowdrin top 100 match of the 80s list handy like I do. Uh, it is actually that match that he recommended. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so, that's, that's... Back in 89. My favorite thing, too, is David Bixenspan claiming that Jeff Bowdrin didn't watch, like, a majority of those matches. <laughs> because there was, like, no footage at the time. Yeah, it's a uh... really funny message more. Like, I, like, saved this list, and there's, like, all these comments afterwards. And Bix is like, how did he watch this in 1989? I don't believe that he had seen it. I think he was just recommending it based on rep. But, um, yeah, it, it, it was like a 50-minute draw, and they have the last 15 minutes of it on that account. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what, uh, that's what Martha mentioned. She mentioned the three favorite opponents for her husband, uh, Brett and Hiro Hase and Makin Singh. And you can check, you can check those last two out on the, on the YouTube account as well. So um, any other favorite moments or anything that we didn't touch on here that any of you guys want to throw out there? Anything at all? One of my other favorite moments actually wasn't a it didn't benefit owen and the bulldog was when they lost the tag titles to uh sean and stone cold Mm -hmm. uh because right after sean and stone cold win the tag titles austin just takes the two belts and runs while owen and uh and bulldog beat the crap uh out of hbk and it was just uh like i love that pairing because hbk is like my favorite of all time um and then obviously loved austin at that time uh, that was just it was like a rent at that time. I, I think that was like on a raw too. If May, I remember. Yeah. May 26, mm-hmm. 97. I believe that was yeah. Sean's first match back after he lost his smile. Yes. Right. And he does it. He does a moonsault <laughs> off the top rope just to remind us how in how not injured his knee was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's no, a just, really good match, though. It is a really good mm-hmm. match. It's really good. Yeah. And so Owen is obviously just him and the Bulldog were. They were one of the uh, my favorite tag teams to watch early on, uh, especially like in that era, mm-hmm. uh, kind of kind of my fandom. So th- that match just really sticks out to me. I, I watch the ending occasionally, uh, just on YouTube when I have nothing to do because I <laughs> I just find it so funny that they immediately they lost the tag titles, but they jump Sean and Austin is just he's at the top of the ramp already. So it's a, it's a fantastic image. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So some great memories, guys, and um, we kind of threw it out to the listeners this week as well. And uh, I said, you know, I set up a a voicemail line and I put the number out on our social media pages, which if you're not following us at Top Rope Nation, Instagram and Twitter said, here's the number. Call in. Let us know your favorite memories of Owen Hart. And uh, we got a fairly decent response, guys. And so I thought this would be a good way to play out this week's edition of the show. And so uh, thank you all for joining us this week. Thanks to Ben Cruz for joining us from the two jabronis with a wrestling podcast. Definitely check them out. 
uh, after you are done listening to this pod. But uh, we're going to let the listeners take us out this week. Uh, so here's your calls. Here are some of your favorite Owen Hart moments. Hey guys, I uh, just wanted to give you a favorite memory I had of Owen Hart, and it's not something I witnessed personally through watching it on the network or anything like that. It's just stories you hear about him being a prankster, and there's two that come to mind that really make me laugh when I think of Owen. And the first one is when, uh, I guess, Harley Race, whenever the wrestler's show came to his town, he would have the guys over and make his chili that was supposedly world famous, and... Owen spiced it up with a bunch of hot sauce as a prank. And then you hear about Harley Race uh, chasing him down and trying to get him with a taser. Uh, Goldust, I think, told that story on the on uh, the memorial show for Owen Hart. And the other one is um, Raw was having a bunch of pigs delivered for a skit that night. And they were trying to figure out where to drop the pigs off. And Owen intercepted the guy and said, I know exactly where they're going to drop it off. And they... <laughs> He uh, had them deliver it right into the office of Vince McMahon. Was, and I don't know if Vince was like pissed or upset or a little bit of both or happy. And it, it just shows how much of a man who enjoyed life. And you hear these stories of him being such a prankster because there's really nothing else to do when they're doing all this traveling and at shows and stuff. So that's my favorite Owen Hart memory. We'll talk to you later. Hi, my name's Ryan. Uh, huge, uh, huge fan of the show. Uh, just kind of calling in to tell one of my, my favorite uh, Owen Hart memories. Really takes me back to the summer of 1997 and uh, the promo where him and Bulldog got put back together and just uh, how, how realistic and emotional he made that deal and just all the good performances and definitely the best uh, best run of pro wrestling ever was uh, the Hart Foundation in 97. So uh, such a great performer. Uh, I'm sure he'd still be doing some great things today. So I uh, love your guys' show. Doing great work. Uh, happy to listen to you guys every week. Thanks. Hey, guys. It's Aaron from Minnesota. And my favorite Owen memory, as cliche as it sounds, has to be the WrestleMania 10 match with Brett. I remember being a little kid and going to Blockbuster in Hollywood Video trying to find that tape with the sole reason of seeing the Sean and Razor match, the ladder match. And I remember finally getting it and putting it in and seeing that match between Brett and Owen and just being blown away with those two were able to do in the ring. And then to have Owen win, it just put him in a different stratosphere in my little 10-year-old brain. Thanks, guys. Love the podcast. Hi, this is Andrew, Twitter handle at Outlaw Jamboree. My favorite Owen memory was attending a house show in St. John, New Brunswick in either late August or early September of 1995. It wound up being Lex Luger's last ever WWF match. It was a tag match. Luger and Shawn Michaels against Owen Hart and Yokozuna. I can't remember if it was Luger or Michaels. I think it was Luger. Uh, gave Owen the customary corner spot where you smash your opponent's head into the turnbuckle 10 times only instead of 10 it was 40 and the crowd counted right up to 40 and you could see Yokozuna in the corner hiding his face and just 
laughing like crazy. And you could tell that Owen was a jokester. 